Well, let me just say, first of all, welcome. So glad that you are here for this time of remembrance as we think back to the day when the Lord Jesus died on the cross and allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I especially want to say welcome to those of you who are maybe guests today and you are with us. Thank you so much for coming. Join me just in a moment of prayer. Father, we are thankful for the old rugged cross, the message that is old, the cross that simply held the body of our Savior as he died for our sins. Lord, today we want to remember you. Not only that, but we want to understand what took place, the transaction between you and the Father on that wonderful day so many years ago. And Lord, for eyes that are unable to see and hearts that cannot fathom and understand, may you speak to each one of us and turn on the light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A little girl was watching her mother as she put cold cream on one evening, and she said to her mom, what is that you're putting on your face? She said, well, it's cream to make my skin beautiful. They call it beauty cream. The little daughter was mesmerized. She watched the whole process. As her mom applied the cream, waited a moment for it to set, then washed it off and dried her face, and she looked at her daughter and she said, what do you think? And the daughter said, aw, it didn't work. I think there's a lot of people who look at Good Friday and the cross of Jesus Christ and say, aw, it didn't work. He came to save the world, but he ended up losing his life. And the cross was a colossal failure. That's why I think it's so important for us to read in the Gospels, that's the first four books of the New Testament, read about what Jesus thought regarding the cross for he gives us insight and if anyone should know what he intended to accomplish it's him and when we listen to his words we see that the cross wasn't a colossal failure it was an amazing triumph I I go to Mark's gospel and we read three times where Jesus told his disciples that He was going to die. He actually says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, which is another name for Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles or to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, this is months before it happened, and I have to say that this message just flew right over the heads of the disciples like birds in the air. They missed the whole message, didn't comprehend it. Because in the very next verse, two of the disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said this, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Talk about a loaded question. 
And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, let one of us be seated on your right hand and the other seated on your left hand when you come into your glory. You see, the disciples thought that an earthly kingdom of God was going to materialize immediately on planet earth. And they were fighting for high-level positions in the new administration. I mean, that's like, you know, how insensitive can they be? Jesus just said he was going to die. I mean, that's like your boss coming to you and saying, hey, I've, been, I've got cancer and it's terminal. And you say, sorry about that, but what about my promotion? And so Jesus said, you know, this whole thing about position. You've been with me for three years and this is the best you've got? The Gentiles, the, the people in this world, that's the way they work it. Indeed, bosses like to boss other people around, but not so with you. It's a different matter. And that's when he gave them these words. This is Mark's gospel, the 10th chapter, the 45th verse. For even the Son of Man, there's that name for Jesus again, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What's the cross about Jesus? I came as a servant, and I came as a sacrifice. I came not to be ministered unto. I came to give up my life. When he had previously discussed his death, it was kind of in a passive perspective or tense. But now he's in full control. He is going to give up his life. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. No, the cross wasn't a mistake. It was intentional. And when we go back to Mark 10 and verse 45, I want you to notice the word ransom. The Son of Man gave his life as a ransom. Now that word define usually means a sum of money or some other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. That's what a ransom is. And in fact, if you lived in the day when the Bible was written, it would be a very common word for you. About one-fifth of the population in Roman society were considered to be slaves. Of all ages, all ethnicities, men and women, some had to endure hard labor. Others were involved in domestic responsibilities, but all were considered property and owned by their masters. Many of them wanted out. And the only way to get out was to have their freedom purchased and the money paid for that freedom is a ransom. And now in this spiritual relationship that God has with people, he's talking about his son. Jesus says, I have come to give my life as a ransom 
A ransom for many. A ransom for those who need a savior. Now this implies many things. First of all, a ransom implies that we have a great need. That there is a desperate condition that you and I are in. And that is to be sure. The wages of sin is death. Elsewhere in the Bible it says, whoever commits a sin is a servant to sin. You, are, you and I are considered to be captives and slaves of sin. Under the, under the devil's control, the devil is our master. And he does not want to let us go. And there's no way we can extricate ourselves from his power. There's no way that we can pay for our release. We are without prospects. Little hope. In Psalms, Psalm 49, you read these words. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom of a life is costly and no payment is ever enough. Our slavery is due to sin. And sin results in death. I tell you, our situation is as bad as it could possibly be. But then the word ransom demands a great price or a great cost. In other words, if someone is going to have their freedom purchased, someone is going to have to pay a tremendous price. In fact, the price that Jesus paid to ransom you and I is infinite, immeasurable, cannot calculate it, it is so great. God had to pay the price to set us free. That's how great it is. Peter, in his little letter near the end of the New Testament, puts it this way. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your forefathers. That is, an empty life devoid of any spiritual merit or worth. God paid the ransom. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. Those things lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And right away, Peter is clearly thinking about the Old Testament Passover. If you remember that story back in the book of Exodus, when the Hebrew people were in bondage to Egypt and they wanted to get out, wanted to get out God brought plagues upon the Egyptians, and the last one was the death of the firstborn. That night, the angel would come through, and the oldest in every family would die. But God gave a provision for deliverance. The Hebrews were to take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb as an offering and put the blood of the lamb on the post of the door outside of their home. And when the angel would go through the streets that night in Egypt and see the blood on the door, he would pass over that home and no judgment would come in. And thus the Jews celebrate their Passover, remembering when they were delivered by the mighty hand of God and the mercy of a wonderful, compassionate Savior. Come to the New Testament, and Jesus is our Paschal Lamb. 
Just as the lamb in the Old Testament was a substitute to deliver them, so Jesus dies on the cross as our substitute. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that's what he accomplished on the cross. No failure. A tremendous success. And now we think of our situation. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to save us. What did Peter say? God paid a ransom to save you? Is that God the Father or God the Son? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The Father sent his son The Father gives the Son. The Son gives Himself. And that indicates the extreme value of your soul. God loved you so much. He was determined to make an offering for you and for me. So that we could be ransomed from our sin and its consequences. And be free. And free indeed. I remember years ago, my mom would go shopping at a grocery store and come home with S&H green stamps. Remember those? And she'd have a little book at home, kind of like this one, and it was a paper cheap book, and you would lick these stamps and put them in the book. I just noticed this book said there are, are 1,200 stamps in one book. And after licking the stamps, you would look through the catalog and you would see all these items that you could get in exchange for the stamps. I wanted a football. As I recall, it took about 57 million stamps to get a football. (laughs) My mom wanted a lamp. What a waste of stamps, I thought. But when she got enough, I went with her to a place called the Redemption Center. First time I'd ever heard that word. And we went in with stamps, and we came out with a lamp. (laughs) The redemption center in the Bible is the cross. And it's the Son of God. And we come with an empty book because we have no stamps. In fact, all we have is our own sin. But God places his righteousness in that book for us. And then takes our sin and gives to us the only thing he offers, which is life forevermore. And that's what happened on the cross. There was no mistake. It was a glorious victory. And that's why ransom means, implies that there's a great need. It demands a great cost, but it effects a great deliverance. The results are amazing. Purchased by God, we now are free from sin. Purchased by God, we now belong to him. And the cost that Jesus paid produces Life that never ends in the heart of everyone who believes. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's the mercy and grace of God offered to all who call upon the Son. In the book of Titus chapter 2, we read these words. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us 
from wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own. Isn't that amazing? He made everyone, but only those who trust him he redeems. And when he does, we are his very own. We belong to him. We belong to him by right of creation and we belong to him by right of redemption. Our freedom has been purchased. And we can say with the great Wesley hymn, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And that's the only response that you and I can have to the great work of Jesus on the cross. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? Hundreds of years ago, the Turks were reputed to be the wealthiest merchants in the world. They would buy slaves from all the major markets everywhere and then sell them at a tremendous profit. Sometimes they would keep them and put them in the hole of a, of a merchant vessel so that when the wind wasn't blowing and they were out to sea, the slaves would man the oars and motor the ship to its destination. Their merchant ships were loaded with the best, most desirable spices anywhere, and they would take them to Europe and sell those spices, and the Turks were wealthy, very wealthy indeed. One day there was a rich Englishman who paid for passage on one of these Turkish merchant ships so that he could be taken back home to England. He did whatever he could to spend his time and to somehow deal away the tedious months at sea. He would maybe climb the rigging or sometimes just walk the deck. And, and occasionally he'd actually go into the hole where the slaves were and talk with the slaves. One of his favorites was a young Greek man, strong. His body looked like it was chiseled out of marble. He was intelligent spoke several languages, and the Englishman enjoyed talking to the Greek month after month. But then, at one point in time, his heart was moved. How sad and tragic it is that a person, a man like this, has to spend his life like a slave. And as they were getting close to England, he was moved with deep sympathy and went to the Turkish merchant and said, I want to buy one of your slaves. I want to buy that Greek man over there. Why, that's the most expensive, valuable slave I had, said the merchant. Then he named some outrageous price, and to his surprise, the Englishman pulled out a wad of money and began to count the bills. Paid for the slave. Now set him free, he demanded. And they went down into the hole and unchained his ankles slave rubbed his ankles a moment, stood up, and with a quizzical look said, what is the meaning of this? And the merchant pointed over to the Englishman and said, he just bought you. At that moment, the slave turned into something 
like a beast. His muscular body set to spring. His eyes like flames of fire. His lips pursed across his teeth as they spat at the Englishman. Who are you from a free country to buy me as a slave? You pretended to be my friend and now you want to make me your property? I ought to rip you apart with my bare hands. The Englishman said, Sir, you misunderstand my intentions. I didn't buy you to make you a slave. I bought you because you were a slave. You can go free. When he understood what had just transpired, he fell before the Englishman and began to cry out, I am so sorry. Forgive me. I didn't understand your intentions. I will serve you for the rest of my life. And maybe someone here will look at the cross and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought it was a failure. I didn't understand your intentions. You died on purpose to save me. I will serve you for the rest of my life. For Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us slaves. He died on the cross because we were slaves. And he paid the price to set us free. And that's why this day is called good. Let's pray. Father, there may be some watching in the chapel or in the worship center here who don't know you. I'm sure good people, maybe they misunderstood all about the cross and thought, poor Jesus. Yes, you suffered a lot, but you did it intentionally, voluntarily, to pay the price so that we could go free. Oh, Lord, I pray that many hearts will look to you at this moment and in faith say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to be redeemed. I want to be forgiven. I want to have life that never ends. And, Lord, you've promised in your word that if anyone comes to you in genuine faith, they will never be turned away. Draw people to yourself even right now, Lord. Speak to hearts. And then for those of us who know you, may we say with all of our heart, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember the meaning of the meal is the message that Pastor Don just shared. The message about forgiveness because he's given himself as a sacrifice. The message of new life, that now we belong to him, to live for him as his servants and his slaves and as the Father's dearly loved children. And so as we come to this meal, it's for all those, but only those 